Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Edge of Fear podcast. So today's episode is formatted a little bit differently. I had a couple different ideas going into it and coming out of it. We are still getting into the swing of things over here at the Edge of Fear Enterprises. Just kidding. I don't even own the name yet. But I'm really in the process of creating a whole bunch of new systems so that this bad boy kind of starts to run on its own a little bit. But one of the things that I've been experimenting with is an acronym from my boy, Dak Shepard, A-B-R, Always Be Recording. So this is the first episode of many, I've already recorded several like this since, that we will be, instead of just diving right in with them, we kind of start in the middle of a conversation. It's also one of my first short guest episodes, so I want to kind of give you guys just snippets of guests and kind of like random conversation a little bit. So this is a friend of a friend who is, that is like, rule number one, share your friends lesson, like share your friends, you guys. But James is actually doing some really incredible work in the mental health field for men and for first responders. So this was a brief glimpse into what the potential conversations are going to be with James and I in the future. So I hope you guys will come back for more, but enjoy this snippet of information and sharing. I'll see you guys on the other side. Hi friends, welcome to the Edge of Fear podcast, hosted by Liz Basil Lewison, at Liz Without a Pillow. Each week I'll be bringing you some different insights, lessons, and laughs, with an end goal of a more empowered and authentically happier human race. Everybody's got a story, and everybody's story is important. Let's do this. (laughs) To be completely frank. At least like close my bathroom door. I can I can make some small changes. I um I That's used to have bathroom. To do... Oh my goodness! This oh, like this a, is this looks like a European kitchen right here. It, like it kind of is. It kind of is. Yeah. I love it. But there's but here, let me show you the setup. Yeah, show here. me around. Give me it a is more. it is got, absolutely insane, <laughs> right? So like here is this huge kitchen with these ginormous ceilings, Classic. and there's where I cook. Yep. In that, like, the tiniest space ever. Like the corner of the room, yeah. Absolutely. Like, yeah. that's where you should put a stove. Like, I get that this place was, like, totally remodded to, like, make a little studio, but right. come on. Where are you located again, like, generally speaking? Uh, Franklin. Franklin, Massachusetts. Yes. Okay. That's, like, southwest? Of Boston? Yeah. Yes. Okay. R- so remind I'm me actually... what's near it. Um, so I'm like 15 minutes away from Foxborough. That's what I thought. That's where I was thinking yeah, yeah, yeah. it was. Okay. Yep. So I'm, if you like looked at a map, I'm like equidistant from Boston to Providence. So it's actually gotcha. kind of cool. Like I can like yes, pick yes. city. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I do vaguely remember this. I like very briefly dated a guy from something with a P out there. Uh, Plainville. Plainville, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. His parents were still there. He, um, oh, he, nice. was, he was moving um out of his apartment basically like his roommates were like two months before the lease was up like hey we're all moving out and they like hadn't talked about it at all so he was like oh okay well like he was probably like six months away from like buying his own place so he was like i don't want to move into like a new place and then have to move again in six months i have no idea what has happened to with him since this was like a hinge guy very very brief um 
But there's actually a funny story with Lauren, like the same thing. She like saw him on Hinge and his his uh, profile picture was a picture that we took on a date together and he cut me off. Oh, God. Um, I told you, I told you that I real, did some time. Real. I told you that I did some time as um, President Bush's private paramedic. Yeah. And there was this one guy who's, there's always that guy and you were in the military. So you know this guy very, very well. Yeah, there's it always wasn't, at least one. <laughs> Yeah, it wasn't a 15-person team. It was him and 14 yeah. helpers, right? right? Like, that's his right. thing. And we were very fortunate. Top when... dog. Yeah, thank God he was there. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> thank God. <laughs> right. he, we all took a picture when President Bush Sr. and George H.W. Bush, excuse me, H.W. Bush and 43 were both the compound. Right. We took a picture of, like, both wives, both President Bushes, and all of us. Yeah. And when when President H.W. Bush passed away, he wrote this whole thing. He got on the news. It was nauseating. Like, it was yeah. gross. You're just yeah. placating to get on the news. And you see, like, my ear, because he can't crop out my ear without making his face look funny. And we all are tagging each other in this picture. Like, oh my God. far left is KJ. Oh, isn't that Boomer's ear? Like, so many people were like, James Boomhauer. Tags oh all over Facebook God. in the ear. That is I really love- hilarious. I love the hinge profile picture. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? And honestly, it was a much better picture of me than it was of him. I'll be honest. That's perfect. I've got like 12 pictures in the whole world that I'm like, this is the best picture of me. And I feel like Mm -hmm. that is me. Like, that's what I think that I look like. That like, those are my pictures. And there's like, there's probably less than 12. There's probably like seven. (laughs) But, uh, that's one of them. That's literally one of them is this like hinge guy who we dated for like three weeks. It's crazy also like how like profound that relationship was. This guy seemed like this moment in my life was so profound as it was happening. And it was like the biggest thing. It was crazy. Things were going so fast. I was like so into it. And I really was, this is not bullshit. I really was like all in. And I was like several months out of my last relationship, which was just under five years. Um, Yeah. And so I, I had taken like a sufficient amount of time off, like dating and everything. And it just felt like I was in love with every person that I dated or zero interest. Like there was yeah, yeah, no, yeah. In between. no in between. No in between. So I went out with a couple of guys that, and, and I wasn't disinterested in them. I enjoyed all of the dates that I went on. Actually, this is a good time to tell the story. Get like a guy's perspective on this. But um, oh, I'm so ready. Yeah. Are you ready? I so am. I was a couple of months out of the relationship. I jumped on Hinge. This was, I had been feeling like lonely for like a month or two. And the first few weeks I was like, no, I need, I need to be on my own and like wallow through this. and like, absolutely not interested in flirting, very like vulnerable, you know, like don't feel good. Yeah. And then somewhere around like month three or four, I was, okay, I'm going to hop on a dating site because I'm still not confident to go out and flirt with people in real life yet. And so I threw my shit up on Hinge and I was really honest on my profiles. And like, there's nothing wrong with anything that I said. As soon as I put it up, I was like, this is exactly what I am. Like, and it like felt good Perfect. to like be honest with it. It was awesome because I was like, oh, these are all like things that I really am and really like speak to me. And so I ended up going on one date I said yes to the first guy basically who asked me who I like felt a connection with and I said yes and I was like oh I am in love with this person like two hours like minutes after the date we like made out and I like texted all my girlfriends and I was like this was so awesome I love dating I forgot how fun it is to be single and my girlfriend who was four or five months single ahead of me and being single she had also just gone out of a five-year relationship she was like okay psychopath you're not in love these are happy chemicals welcome back to 
planet reality. Right. Planet Earth or welcome back to reality. And she was like, you need to go back on Hinge right now or tomorrow and say yes to the next person that you can or like tomorrow, go on another date. That thought had not even crossed my mind, not for a single second, but I was like, okay, great idea. So I, and actually I like gave her some pushback. I was like, no, but Adam, like I love him. So <laughs> but we're going to get married. Yeah. But like, yeah. he's the one. <laughs> so, uh, so I jumped back on Hinge and I basically got out my planner and scheduled a date for as many dates as I could for two weeks. And I went on 12 dates in 14 days and I went on three second dates and also two third dates. So I just was like packed to the max. I literally had two dates one day, like on a Saturday, like I had like a morning and an evening, but I was like hardly making out with anybody. I was like paying for all my own shit. If basically, if I wasn't making out with them, which was most, I was paying my own way. And I also went on like all of these dates. Do you like the honesty? Here we go. I love it. I love it. <laughs> I also went on lots of dates that were like, let's just go for a walk. Let's just go for a hike. Let's just go for ice cream. Yeah. Let's go for a beer. Because why the fuck wouldn't I go on as many dates as I could? It's the summer. I feel good. I also feel alone as fuck. So let me just connect with lots of people. And what an amazing like experiment. It was so much fun. And so I met this guy that I was telling you about before who his family lived in wherever. And I just like got going really quick. Like we literally like there were just like a couple of makeouts, but there were also like several sleep out sleepovers. So like, again, like wasn't having sex, but we connected. We talked about serious shit really quick. And I was like, oh my God, this guy is my whole world. I'm totally ready to like jump back into the dating. Really, really like date this guy. And he literally straight up ghosted me. Oh, the worst. After three weeks. And we had been like FaceTiming. Like I met his mom through FaceTime. It was, it was like crazy fast. It was way too fast. So like, it was like too much too fast, but like, thank God for the universe because he ghosted me and the next week was the week that I decided to uh, like I, I found out some shit about work that I was like oh this no longer is aligned with my mission and I can't be a part of this anymore um, and I don't want to be a part of this anymore and I decided one week after his ghosting re- that I was going to resign from my job I was on vacation the week after he ghosted me and I was like just having these like revelations talking to my aunt and my grandma and strangers and one of my best friends and his mom and stepdad and it was just like just the perfect story storm of inspiration and deep, meaningful conversations that it just catapulted me into like this next phase of life. And had I not been ghosted, I definitely would have just like went all in on my next relationship. So it's just like kind of wild. That's crazy. That's awesome. Yeah. So divine timing. Um, Yeah. All right. So welcome to the Edge of Fear podcast. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. (laughs) I'm so excited to have you. Before I really even started asking anybody to be a guest on my podcast, and a girl that I used to work with, a mutual friend of James and I's, Lauren, she reached out to me and was like, hey, I had a dream that my friend James was on your podcast. And I was like, that's hilarious. I would love for us to make this dream come true. (laughs) And so we literally just like connected literally like that. I think later that day, either you DM'd me or I DM'd you. Um, And here we are. You have a very interesting story. Will you introduce yourself to my listeners? I'm so excited to have you here. Uh, Sure. And I'm so happy to be here. Uh, My name is James Boomhauer and I run a couple of programs, but my primary program is a mental health and suicide awareness advocacy campaign called Fit for Duty. And I am one of the lead peers in my helicopter EMS program's peer support team. Amazing. All right. So, so, so that's your summary. So that's your summary. Sure. Yeah, that, that's, my, that's my like 10 second CV. Yeah. Perfect. Okay. Your elevator pitch. I love it. 
Let's hear more. What else you got? <laughs> so um, to give a little bit of background to that, I am a paramedic in the medical helicopter and I have been for about five years. But long, long before that, when I was in high school, I was part of a suicide hotline that was also, as you and I talked about in our intro phone call, like a homework helpline for kids. Yeah. Like at a certain time, it would like transition from algebra help to like genuine teenage suicide hotline. Right. Yeah, um, really a lot for a high school student to take on. Yeah, it it still exists to this day. Captain Youth and Family in uh, Clifton Park, New York is an amazing platform, and that hotline is still tremendous. I don't know who thought it was awesome for 16-year-olds to talk to 16-year-olds, but it's like the truest form of peer support, right? It's Yeah. No one is going to get the angst of a 16-year-old than a 16-year-old that isn't currently in that angst but was there a handful of days ago. Right. Um, so that, that really started this whole idea of therapy and peer counseling and like some type of like psychologic underpinning. And all of my education was primarily focused in medicine and science, but always had a heavy layer of psychological science behind it as well, either in a minor or in whatever else I did. And I was finally able to marry the two things that I really liked, which is pre-hospital emergency medicine and peer support and psychology. And here I am. Super, super profound, super powerful in so many ways. So did you choose that? I missed that part, the hotline that you worked for. Was that a choice or was that a like a volunteer thing? Uh, that's a great question. It was a volunteer thing totally, but okay. you, were, uh, you were voted on by your peers. So cool. they essentially said, that sent out like a, I mean, it wasn't an email back then, but like right. sent out a posting. A, a letter, like, yeah. Yeah, exactly right, where we had to write things down on paper. Right. It was crazy archaic. Um, <laughs> but they said, you know, Ancient. who are the 10 people that you talk to? And someone then had to count all those letters and tabulate all those students, which was like a terrible idea because I went to oh a huge gosh. high school. And you were essentially told like, hey, this is where you landed on this list of 10 if you made this list of 10, and we'd really like you to be part of this program. Uh, and I was part of the Youth and Family Services, which was part of the Anti-Defamation League, all this very like profound equality and mental and physical health uh, all rolled into one for the vast majority of my high school. That is so cool. So, and what's really interesting to me about this is that you are also an only child. And so to have that sense of empathy, like kind of innately, what, like, I think that when you're that young, it's definitely like ingrained in you. It's just, you, you didn't have to be taught and there, there is taught empathy. And then there's also like, just to be an empath and like, to have that like way about you and just like that. I, I, I can't imagine that that experience wouldn't teach you some perspective from a much earlier age than I think most of us really start to see that like other people are living differently. You had that very, very young. Yeah, I think some of that has to do with my parents' background. Um, my mother worked for and still works for the Center for Disability Services. Okay. Um, so there was a lot of volunteering. Uh, the unit that I volunteered in was primarily the adult uh, traumatic brain injury unit. And on top of that, my father was a paramedic. So there was plenty of like, your life is fine because yeah. someone yeah. else is really, really isn't today, right? Like it was never like my father would come home and be like, you think you're having a bad day? Like little Timmy's dead, right? Nothing like that. Aww. But like, just, you, know, <laughs> you just knew like through like what your parents did that like you were pretty okay. And the day that you were having may suck for sure, but certainly doesn't 
meet the metric of like something. Yeah. I think to like loop that into like what you do now though is behind that of your life is okay. Little Timmy's dead. I mean, yes, (laughs) that's like obviously very sad and I'm not making a joke about Timmy. Damn it. But we just have this idea that like you shouldn't go to therapy unless things are really fucking bad or you shouldn't be, you shouldn't feel bad about yourself unless things are really fucking bad. And like there's this like misappropriated sense of gratitude and appreciation when things aren't really necessarily that great. And I think that that's like part of that is like this, this independence culture that we have where like, we have to be independent, we have to be able to make it alone, don't ask for help. And then that the male fear, like the woman's fear, this is according to Brene Brown, the the female fear is, I have to be able to do everything and I have to look good doing it. And the male fear is being perceived as weak. So I think they're pretty accurate. So I really like to, you know, share that thought. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, early, early on, I was also cared about my physical appearance, right? So I totally understand that. But, well, I um, think I think everybody does too. And I think to some degree, men and women alike are experiencing all of those fears combined to some degree, or obviously depending a lot on the personality too and the person. But yeah, this feeling that I have to be okay no matter what by myself, and it's not okay to complain about things. I, I feel like that an experience like that would really teach you that, you know, and, and your your parents experience and, and you experiencing that in your home growing up with that like constant reminder of like things aren't that bad. Your life is okay. Plus getting to like hear other kids perspective of like, you know, broken homes and suicide and things like that, like really serious things. The split of those two worlds is that Everybody has shit that goes wrong, everybody on some level, and talking about it makes us all feel better. So, I mean, that's a really important factor, I think, in your story, at least like from my perspective and what I am seeing. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I'm a little bummed that you got to uh, paraphrase Benet Brown before I did. Um, Uh She talks talks a lot about being able to have both worlds, right? The old, like there are starving children in Africa, so finish your meal. Like you you can both feel empathy for tragedies right that's real and that exists and you're also allowed to have a bad day like i will not forget maybe six months ago i'm late to spin class right which in and of itself is a first the world worst problem. yeah yeah exactly. i know right? the worst my, thing my smartwatch isn't charged and i only have a quarter tank of gas and oh, i'm like my that. life is over right like this Literally. is the worst day in the history of the world and thankfully it's somewhere in that tailspin right you're able to gain a layer of perspective and be like let's just think about that entire sentence for one sec, right? So you woke up, you have food in your fridge, you have disposable income to go to a cycling studio, you have your own vehicle, you have gas, you have a $150 smartwatch on your wrist. Everything is actually pretty okay. You're just bummed up against a bunch of inconveniences. Uh, And not that you can't appreciate that that is challenging moment but right. trying to gather some perspective can be tricky sometimes yeah i uh i hate to be a one-upper just kidding i love to be a one-upper sometimes but so i was in lyon france my last week of my trip to europe this year so this year i worked as an au pair so i like to when i tell you about my trip to europe i like to like sound really pompous for one moment and then i like to boom also tell you that I worked like the whole time I was there. I slept only in hostels. I was so not an asshole the whole time. Like I know it's hard to imagine. I'm mostly an asshole, but I was, I was like busting my butt the whole time that I was, was there, but it was still like every single thing, every single, like you said, inconvenience. This is a first world problem. Like I need to reflect on that, but it was also the moment it was, you know, it was that realization that I can still have bad days in Europe the second time this past March where like things 
things were just going wrong. It was like three or four things like went terribly wrong and they were real things. And I was like, this is so shitty because I don't want to feel bad about myself and I don't want to feel this way in this beautiful place. I want to feel like life is beautiful and fantastic and I'm so grateful and look at this awesome experience and I'm, you know, sharing it on my blog and through my Instagram, but it, the reality of it behind what I was putting out there was actually, I'm really struggling. I've been struggling for like three weeks. I'm in this darkness. And I realized it really quickly. And that was like really the first time that I really realized it really quickly. I was like, oh shit, I got to talk about this. I'm bottling this shit up. And so I talked to, you know, the other au pairs that were there. I talked to this guy that I had been seeing briefly before I left. I talked to like my best girlfriends about it. And suddenly the first world problems that were, they were real enough problems, but the problems that they were don't really matter because what mattered was I wasn't talking about it. I was making it worse and worse and worse and worse. And then as soon as I stopped judging myself and letting myself, be not okay for a minute or three weeks and started talking about it and admitting it, you know, was like the moment that I immediately started to like move forward again and like be okay. But my first world problem was it was my last week traveling in Europe, February to May. And I was spending my last week in France and I was in Lyon and I had left my Apple Watch charger in another hostel the day before. And so I was like a three hour train ride away. And I was like, okay, the train ride back is like 20 bucks, like each way, or I could buy a new Apple Watch charger, or I could not buy a charger and ask for one for my 30th birthday in a couple of weeks. And I was like, no, I can't live without my charger. So I literally like hoofed it to the nearest Apple store, like spent one of my last two days in Europe, like in an Apple store. I was, it's actually so ridiculous. I was, I'd been setting goals on my watch for like activity goals. And so my goal for April was 150 miles or something. And I realized it two weeks before the end of April. And I was like a hundred miles away. Like I had like not even come close yet. Somehow yeah. I was just like, I wasn't, you know, tracking the workouts or something. Cause I was walking fucking everywhere. And so I was like four days from the end of April. And I was like, I'm not going to miss it. I've been busting my ass for the last two weeks. I was like, I had to go get the watch. So I literally walked to the Apple store. And then I was so pissed. Cause I was like, I just wasted three miles not calculated right. on my watch. Right, right, right. I thought you were going to tell me that like you counted it. Like, ah, uh, that's a bummer. No, it was ridiculous. It doesn't count at all. Yeah. So like such a first world problem. Like, so the first trip last year, just, I was like on cloud nine the whole time. There were no downs. I was not homesick. There were no moments of sadness, like almost at all for three months. So that's like outrageous, you know, maybe like once or twice had like a, oh, I really miss so-and-so, but it wasn't, I wasn't away from like a significant other. There was nobody like, waiting for me at home. Like everybody's just living their life. So I was fine. But this trip, there was like a lot of darknesses and there was like homesickness and burning the candle on both ends kind of thing. Cause I was also like running the blog for the first time and working the whole time where like last year was a lot more like a free for all travel. So just super interesting that it like takes that darkness and, and that bravery during the darkness to like step out of the comfort zone and talk about it. Cause that's what it really takes to be okay. So somebody calling a hotline and reaching out a hand and saying like, I need help. That's huge. That's freaking huge. Yeah. And it was, you know, I, I, I was too young to like appreciate the power of totally. that. Um, Cause I'm now, I, I'm now part of a, uh, I'm part of a national hotline specifically for what are called critical care transport providers. So paramedical or ground critical care, but the very niche, like not just first response and fire, but like this niche of first response, um, which is a pretty elite group and a pretty small group. You'll get calls that are like, yeah, I mean, I just, you know, it's really frustrating when work does this and then bam. And that was the same as 
10, 15 years ago, right? It was like, right. oh, I mean, you know, algebra is just this. And I mean, we all do it. I, do, there's no one who goes to therapy and is like, problem, 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 right? You sit there in silence and you're like, yeah, I mean, I guess things are pretty okay, except for like the crippling depression that I have or the suicidal Most things are had. totally fine, yeah. except for these yeah. 17 major incidences. Right, exactly right. Like we're all so... I can't even say guilty. I just think it's so natural to be like, well, this is this and this is that. And then like that kind of blossoms into something else from there. Well, we're very complex and we're so conditioned to say everything's fine. Everything's fine. Yeah. And it's not. Right. Right. And, you know, it's, it's kind of twofold because how many people outside of like the mental health or peer support sphere, outside of like your parents and your close friends, when they say, well, oh, hey, how are you? I don't. I don't super want to know, right? Like, especially if you're not going to say anything other than great, right? It's like, just oh, a pleasantry. Liz, yep. Right. Not, exactly. oh my God. Oh no, she's actually talking. Oh God. Like, I'm not ready for this. So uh, we certainly don't make it easier on the sender or on the receiver. So. Yeah. That makes me think of a couple of months ago, a friend and I were at a wedding down South and we were talking about this idea of inviting people to weddings when you're like, not really sure how close you are, but like, it's just like a social formality. It's like a nicety yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. to invite people to, to your wedding. And like, that's a fucking huge deal and expensive. Why are we still inviting people that we're like, right. not a hundred percent sure about just because it's, what we're socially like supposed to do. But like, so the thing that was really interesting was my friend had, it was a couple and they had just had a friend, I want to say from like the Dominican or something. I'll do a fact check on this and find it in the show notes. Um, (laughs) Zach Shepard would be so proud. Yeah, exactly. Oh man, I'm so excited that you know that fact check. Thanks, Monica. It was, it was just really cool because in this other culture that I wish I knew the name of, they had like an invitation. And then they also had this like faux invitation. And it was like, we're getting married and you are important to us. The end. You're not invited. Like it's kind of like an invitation, but it's really not. It's just an invitation so that you know. And so those are all like your second class, like guests, like your B-list guests, which like that's fucking important because like, first of all, like if a-listers drop out by the dozen and you have all of a sudden all these extra people like you can invite them most fucking people don't really want to go to a wedding anyway like i love weddings i know a lot of people that love weddings but weddings are very expensive it's hard to get to you have to look nice god forbid anybody dresses up and like puts any goddamn presentation into themselves like we don't we don't want to do that because it's different than what we normally do. Like we don't want to present ourselves like fully. Um, And then there's the opposite of that, which is you want to look your very best all the time. And I think we all kind of fall somewhere on that spectrum. And then there's the same thing, a spectrum of people who like to go to weddings and people who absolutely fucking hate to go to weddings. So I'm trying to be a little bit more careful about how much I say like everybody does this and everybody does that because I realize like that's not the case. But if I I, like line up, if I explain that there's actually a, a wide spectrum, but like so many people just don't really want to go to your wedding anyway. So why are we doing this? Why are we inviting everybody to the goddamn wedding? Like, so I would like if we could just, my friends in America, adopt this culture that I do not know, their, their practice of having like a pseudo invitation, because I think that that would be polite, but firm. You know, it's so funny you say that I was a paramedic in Maine while I was in college and I became really close friends with a handful of people there. But I was like the fifth in a group that had known each other for a decade. Right. right? And this one kid was like, dude, I consider you a close friend of mine. I'm getting married and I have no room. And I care awesome. about you. 
and yeah. you matter, right? Yeah. And I'm so sorry that like, I can't invite you and like, please believe that, if, like, you know, a third cousin like drops out, then like you're in, right? but like you're not. And it was, it was a super simple, right? Okay. Right. I completely Done. Honestly. Honest, right. And B, the only people that made a big deal out of it were other people. Of like, course. Doesn't really matter. Nor I ever made a big deal about it. I can't believe he doesn't have you in his wedding. What do you mean he doesn't have you in his wedding? Yeah. Oh no, they're they're, you know I mean like we love to do that though. No, yeah, yeah. Like people, we we want to fan the flames. Like how can I make this drama worse? Because everybody's fucking bored. Because we're all goddamn bored. So we want to like embellish. Love some of that boredom. (laughs) I mean, if I'm bored for like five minutes, it's like the worst thing ever. Like I. I can't handle boredom. That's why, that's why my hinge profile was, I prefer an active Sunday. I can't, I can't lay around. It's really, honestly, it's like a little bit bad. In basic training, they called me the machine. That's a true story. Wow. There you go. In basic training. Awesome. So the platform that I run, right? See the air quotes when I say run, um, (laughs) is called Fit for Duty. And it's a, it's a handful of things. At its absolute core, it is for first responders which is an umbrella term that a lot of people use in different ways. I say from police officer, firefighter, any member of the fire service, any member of law enforcement, to any member in the first response community, um, all the way to nursing and physicians. Um, because we often think of first responders like the people that just run out on the highway and do things. Right. And there's a lot of truth to that because I've been a paramedic for a long time. But I think occasionally that overlooks other members and especially the healthcare spectrum yeah. that, also get a lot of things without a lot of resources. Um, And my goal there is to um, talk a lot about mental health and what that means and recognizing from one professional first responder to another um, and professional uh, for anyone unfamiliar with the industry is kind of a um, kind of an improper term because that implies that people that don't get paid aren't professional. So right, when yeah. I say professional, I don't mean compensated. I just mean anybody who does this job huh. and really I cares like that about what they do. Distinction, yeah, uh, yeah. Because sometimes volunteers, who I argue have the hardest gig, right? Because they're doing a job elsewhere and then they just leave their job to go volunteer care in some facet. Kind of um, like being that. an army reservist or a military no, exactly. reservist. Yeah, exactly. it's just your yeah. side job. Yeah, it's really exactly. hard to like switch yeah you have to flip that yeah, switch and take yeah. that on and off exactly so um I, I like to make sure that 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 is made super clear it's truly helpful that you have someone and i'm certainly not the only one i'm part of a network of a number of phenomenal people in this space um but that understand what you do for a living understand your worldview which is part of what you and i kind of talked about on the phone of you can't really be helpful. You can be helpful to somebody in a lot of different ways, but you can be truly helpful to someone if you understand how they see the world or at least have some rough idea of how they see the world. So right. Really yeah. You have to like relate to it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I try really hard to make sure that people understand kind of where I'm coming from and that I'm not a licensed mental health professional yet. I see that yeah. in my future. Um, but I cool. am uh, a peer supporter and I, I do have a lot of credentials, if you will, like on, on this topic and on peer support. And uh, I really work hard to let first responders know that it's okay to not be okay. Um, We are, uh, it's embedded in us early in our training. Um, And I think anyone in the armed forces can appreciate this as well, that you have a bravado that you have to maintain. You have a machismo that you have to maintain. And you also have to have this weird, like emotional detachment, like affective thing where you can't be upset by any of this. And there's a layer of truth to that 
when you're doing the medicine, right? Like I, I can't be so overwhelmed with grief that I can't do the medicine. But uh, same with like, uh, yeah, same thing. I was gonna say with combat lifesaving yeah. in the in the battlefield. In order to be able to administer first aid, you have to be able to like keep your wits about you in the face of danger and screaming and chaos. You have to be able to keep your wits about you. And so it is very much partially true. There is a veil of truth over it. Yeah, this is uh, very very relevant. A lot of my army buddies will, I hope, get a lot out of this. Um, I certainly yeah. hope so. I think. I think. It- understanding that I'm not a member of the armed forces, I think there are a tremendous number of parallels between what veterans experience and what first responders experience on yeah. both the PTSD front as as a role. I'm not saying it's the same PTSD, but totally. as what we experience and and how we can mitigate and handle it. So we have this expectation that you have this like complete emotional detachment, but then we don't allow you to feel any feelings. And this has been so embedded in first response. I I can find you a first responder everywhere that started to get emotional on a call and somebody either threw them off the call or said something dumb. Like if you can't stand the heat, get out of the kitchen or there's no crying in baseball or anything like that. And what that, what that creates is somebody very jokey, very casually. It's totally like, um, I would, I would argue it's actually super aggressively. Yeah. It's it's, no, it's a, it's a command. It's not a, it's not a, it's a, if you're going to cry, you shouldn't do this job. See, because uh, we would get we would get both in the military. A lot of times it was like instigating you to like be stronger and like step up to the plate, sure, sure, uh, sure. like specifically like in the early like training days. Um, but I would I would argue that um, on deployment, many times it was like sometimes in jest. I would imagine, though, that it's very different uh, female perspective versus a male because I would get it a lot as a joke. And maybe sure. that's completely different than a guy's I, I experience. Would- I would argue, I would argue in our profession, it's routinely not seen as satire. It's, it's a command. Yeah. How hilarious Uh, that my perspective is completely different on that. I'm like, yeah, they're joking. Yeah. You know, I'm sure there are plenty of people that are, but I can tell you that there are plenty of people. No. Yeah. And as soon as you said that, I was like, oh yeah, no, that was, that's Um, not a joke. That's, they're really serious. Yeah. That's intense. Well, and that, it doesn't foster an era of, Let's talk about it. I mean, really, like if you said, okay, James, like you are going to recreate the face of emergency medicine. It's yours. What yeah. do you change? And it's absolutely the, I need you to keep cool during stressful situations, but it's the, but then we talk about it and then we let feelings happen, right? right? 99.9% of feelings are normal. And then we move on from there. And so that one simple change and allowing us to all talk about this, which is again, why I go speak where I do and, and why I talk about it so much whenever I can is so some first responder listening to your podcast is like, Oh wait, there is someone out there that knows that like, I'm allowed to be upset. And you know, I did, you know, bury a relationship because I couldn't handle my stuff everywhere else. And I took that all out in my partner. I mean, the, the stories that I have are, are mine, but they're certainly not unique. Yeah. You can you can find them in a number of different places. Totally. And I think that like um, you know, that that call to um to speak your trauma. I speak a lot I talk a lot about this on my Instagram, just um how really trauma is trauma. And this goes back to what we were saying earlier about you know, just because you have a good life, a quote, good life doesn't mean that things don't go wrong. And like, so my, you know, I use as an example, like one of my traumas is negative body image, negative relationship with food or money, minor eating disorder in college. Like these are still traumas, like, you know, major fights with my dad that then changed the relationship that we had for the next 14 years. Like that's a pretty serious trauma, I would say. Like, 
traumas can last as long as you decide to allow yourself to be a victim to them because we create, you know, our own reality and we create opportunities to talk about it. And I mean, I'm not going to for one second argue that mental illness is made up or that like, you know, suck it up. I'm not at all saying that. I am saying that working through the darkness and talking to people will eliminate and illuminate your life. Like it will, elim- it will eliminate a lot of the mental health issues that you have because you have a support system. You do. I don't care who you are. I don't care. I'm going to start singing Backstreet Boys. I don't care who you are. <laughs> but seriously, like I, you have a support system. You're not reaching out to them. And I don't want to put any more faults on you because it's hard. It's hard out there when you're going through the darkness. I fucking know it. Um, and I talk about it in several episodes. There, there are support systems. So I hope that uh, where I was going with this is like, I hope that, um, you know, people who have been through different kinds of traumas realize that in hearing this episode um, and hearing you talk about it for first responders, for military, um, you know, personnel, really for like, for everybody who's not in those professions too. Like you just got to reach out and look for the support because it's out there. And if it's not out there and it's something that you care about, do what James did and fucking step up and make that your mission. I, you're laughing because you haven't heard me like talk about it too much here, but like in several episodes, I talk about like following your passion, following your dream. And like, you can make a difference. My first episode, I talk about in Abby Wambach's book, Wolfpack. And she was the women's soccer goalie for the U.S. team. I don't, I can't remember when, but like a really super famous like female soccer player. And she's very much like paved the way. And in her book, she just talks about how we all have a responsibility to be a leader. And I just, I can't say it any better than I do in the first episode. So go listen to the pilot um, because- Well I, done, bravo. Yeah, thank so you, yes. Yeah, well, it's, it's my, it's, it's me quoting her and then like a, a recap of like what her quote was. It's okay. never my idea. <laughs> But yeah, I love this conversation. I can't wait to do it again. Thank you so much. Thing, any like final thoughts? Ooh, um, tell your story. Love like, it. Don't be afraid to tell your story. Totally. Uh, telling my story is what started all of this years ago. And it blossomed into something tremendous because I took a deep breath and I told my story. Obviously, trust who you're telling your story to, but tell your story. I love um, it. I will make sure that Liz has all of this in the show notes, but I'm on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook uh, at stay fit for duty. And my email address is stay fit, the number four duty at gmail.com. Love it. Love it. Well, we can't wait to have you back. Thank you guys so much for being here for another episode of the edge of fear. If you liked this episode, be sure to screenshot it, tag me, tag James, tag your friends, whoever needs to listen. I love you guys. I just want to know that you can, you always have somebody to talk to. All right, my friends, I'll see you later. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to today's episode. For more information on this episode, check out the show notes or find me on Instagram at Liz Without a Pillow. If you loved what you listened to or know somebody that would, please share it. Screenshot the episode in the podcast app, share it to your Instagram story, and tag me. If you'd like to lend your personal support, take a moment and leave a review on iTunes. We would be so grateful. Tune in next week for a brand new episode. See you then.